and welcome to Pints and Politics. in politics is many things. We explore all things political with a focus on life in Peterborough and in Ontario. Since March, we've been gathering together online for these discussions. The discussion to which you're about to listen was recorded on November the 17th. That'll be Tuesday evening. Now, joining me for this online discussion is a highly talented group of guest panelists with expertise in planning, business, the arts, the non-profit sector, and environmental activism. We have Jonathan Bennett, founder of Laraday Consulting. Laraday provides uh, consulting services to non-profits. Cheryl Lyon of Transition Town, an editor of The Green Scene. Paul Bennett, property owner, builder, and chair of the DBIA, that's the Downtown Business Improvement Area. Kaya Martin, who's a student and environmental activist. And Kate Story, writer and theatre artist. So, thank you all for joining me. Ian Atteridge may be joining us later on, once his other Zoom meeting ends. So, just as a framework, some things to acknowledge. The intent of this discussion is not to look at some to dredge up the shortcomings of the first two years of council but i must acknowledge also that many of the issues we're going to touch on extend far beyond the life cycle of uh, the remaining parts of the life cycle for this council which is only two years things like housing environmental degradation climate change is a much longer time frame and that viewed from the 30,000-foot level, before we get down into the weeds, uh, I should just acknowledge that uh, the impact that council can have on any of the issues we bring in has to be qualified. For example, city council isn't the only player when it comes to climate change or when it comes to affordable housing to pick samples. So let's acknowledge those. Anyway, to my first question, we're looking at the next two years of, well, the 23 months remaining in their mandate for council. And let's start with affordable housing. What would you like to see council do? Just the housing issue in general, affordable, if you wish, the full range of housing. What could council be doing? I would like to jump in on housing, if I may, unless someone else wants to go first, because I worked in social housing at the city, and I have chaired uh, the board twice of social housing provider and nonprofit. And I've been deeply immersed in it this week, trying to keep up with all of the things that are happening. So uh, you want me to start? Yeah, go ahead. I'll be really quick. Although it's a complicated scene, I would what I would like to see in answer to your question is the continuation in the city budget of the contribution to rent supplements. Rent supplements right. are the kind of hidden gem, the unknown little piece of housing that people don't talk about much because it, it doesn't build things. It supplements people's rent. And there are a significant number of people who receive these rent supplements, and the city was, uh, has tossed it up a little bit each year. So I would say let's go for that. The Federal Housing and Homelessness Plan, Mary Montes uh, got a, an allocation. Let's keep that alive. That's for uh, mainly for private sector developers. And um, uh, what I think is a kind of radically new uh, initiative from the federal government called the Rapid Housing Initiative that leaves out the private sector and is for nonprofit localities. And uh, I think we should urge city councils to work that program for all it's worth through its the uh, arm's length relationship with the Peterborough Housing Corporation, of which it is the sole shareholder. And the PHC has become a very good developer of housing. The rapid housing initiative, you have to be nimble. You have to have the people, the infrastructure, the know-how to, to, to get things built, uh, to find the land and to respond quickly because all of the allocations, have to, the requests have to be in by the end of March. That's extraordinarily fast for housing. Uh, the non- other nonprofit housing providers in town should be aware of this and perhaps working together as a consortium or supported in some way by the city. And the, all of the work that's being done now around the chronically homeless with the, the scramble, the unseemly scramble every winter we have to, to get 
uh, those who are on the street and chronically homeless or hard to house in out of the cold. And so the Wolf Street uh, city premises is, is going to be developed, but not until March. Um, there are those who can't get, who won't go into shelters, and there are those who are excluded from shelters that they can't be cared for. The kind of duty of care in the world. Um, okay. So I'll, that's all I'll say about that right now, very quickly. Okay. Thank you very much. Other thoughts about uh, housing? What would you like to see council do? And I acknowledge that there's a full range of housing issues, affordable being one of them. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in there. It's it's Paul. Uh, Paul, the uh, those are all very very good points, and I couldn't agree more. There's some great federal initiatives that are really starting to come to fruition here, and that's uh, thanks to, to Miriam and her team there. From a local perspective, I, I think people always need to appreciate how little money our municipality has in terms of trying to yes. promote those things that go along with uh, with affordable housing. So from a, a private perspective, one of the things or two of the things that I always push is uh, is like a, a supply. So obviously for the, the process speed, the quicker we can push developments through, the more supply we get into the market, which is huge. Our, our demand is so huge right now. That's why our vacancy rate is below one. We get that vacancy rate to a healthy five, six, seven percent and the rates go down. And then the other big one that we started to see some uptake on in the last few years is just flat out density. If you went back five years, uh, I, I couldn't even build a five story building. Now they've, uh, they're entertaining eight stories. So it, it, yeah. with density comes scale and uh, allows builders to, you know, to hopefully build things at a lower price, especially now that the building costs have gone through the roof. So we have to be able to increase density in areas. Well, Paul, you, you touch on an issue, and let's go there organically from here. We're, we're certainly not finished with housing, and of course, we've a lot more to say about homelessness. But you mentioned the whole notion of planning. I mean, how could how could council move forward on planning initiatives to make this process more accessible? Open up planning to investigate issues that might uh, increase our density what could we what could we be doing around uh, what could council be doing around uh, urban planning in that regard you you mentioned the density and now we can go to eight stories we could only go to five before what else could could council take some steps towards on the planning front uh, if that's in, in, engaged directly at me, I've always been a proponent of uh, our, our city uh, taking, uh, you know, a bit more of a lead and driving the bus on things like that. And uh, Cheryl kind of alluded to it there. One of the things our city doesn't have is, is money, but one thing they do have is a lot of land. Uh, and driving the bus of how to develop those lands and partnering with not-for-profits or private developers, uh, again, to use those assets in, in a way that drives jobs, drives affordable housing, drives other needs in, in, uh, in our local economy. Now, do we have lots of land? Because I've heard much discussion about, well, we have to annex employment lands from surrounding townships and so on. But we do have lots of land for residential development. Sorry to cannibalize the conversation here. but No, no, no. Uh, uh, cent- centrally, in and around the downtown core, there is a lot of city-owned properties. Okay. Okay, that's okay. good to know. If I, if I could just add to what with this new rapid housing initiative, it, it's radically different in that it is encouraging tiny homes and even container homes. Now, who right. ever heard of that? And, right. um, and I was just out for a walk today, and I, I saw a little piece of land in my area. And I think that what the city could do is um, help assemble uh, an inventory of what's available. And I, I might disagree with Paul, but I don't have the t- statistics that there is a lot of land. There is some land. And some of it is oddly shaped or too small for traditional private sector development, but under this new initiative, it might be used. Right. Uh, they okay. could uh, uh, help with building design, uh, put um, the building division uh, abilities to work, um, and uh, have zoning bylaw flexibility or, or zoning bylaw changes to accommodate new housing firms that we've never had before. Ah, now... With, of course, housing and as a subset, not a subset, but an allied topic to urban planning, of course, the the larger issue of homelessness. Now, this winter promises to be brutal for Peterborough's most, Peterborough's most vulnerable. Uh, what would you like to see council do, certainly in the short term for this 
this winter, but over the next two years, what could council do to uh, alleviate homelessness, uh, the extreme poverty, um, the inequality, and so on? What could what could council do about that issue here in Peterborough? Hi, Bill. It's it's Ian. Um, sure. Thanks for inviting me to to join this uh, this great gathering of folks from across the city. I wonder about just sharing lived experience, really to step out and to share those experiences of of what it feels like to ride the bus, to be outside for a day. Um, you know, it was suggested to me the other day that um, a council members should ride the bus every Monday night when they come to committee and get that experience of um, yes. what that what that means, what it feels like, right. and to have the kind of conversations uh, with those constituents who are are struggling. And right. through that lived, ex- well, not their own lived experience, but at least widening their experience, would, would uh, go to the people who have that lived experience and can bring some knowledge and ideas for the kind of initiatives that um, uh, Cheryl and Paul have shared already. Yeah, yeah. What else on the homelessness front could council do? Um, working towards a twenty-four-seven shelter. Twenty-four-seven shelter, sure. No, I think, I, I think Bill, uh, seeing again, um, in the draft official plan, there's the same target that has been used for I think a couple decades now, and that is ten percent of housing that is built should be um, to uh, address affordable housing. And yet, how does that mechanism, how does that target get realized? I'm not sure it's, it's fully expressed or we were using the full range of mechanisms. That is not applied to a particular development. It's sort of tracked over time. So we need incentives. We need some of the planning tools to be put in place to make this happen on, on a quicker basis, as Paul was saying earlier. Right. Yeah. Hello, it's Jonathan. Sure. Jonathan. I, you know, I, I would jump in there too. I think uh, what I'd like to see council uh, maybe do in the next few years is to get a bit more courage. We have a lot of nimbyism that goes on in this city. And if we want to create densified new builds, you know, we can't have the signs that line up and down, um, for example, right now. Uh, it's just, we're never going to achieve the volume that we need to get. And the extent to which, you believe that more supply will eventually, you know, trickle down and create more access for folks that are struggling to even enter the housing, you know, enter housing at all, then, you know, all of this stuff is connected. And, you know, it's been a very, very difficult time, obviously, over the course of the last uh, almost year now with COVID, but there's going to be a lot of federal uh, stimulus spending and communities across the province and country are going to be competing for it. And if this council is not aggressive uh, at securing that money, we have a cabinet minister who's uh, our local MP and who's pretty keen to work with folks here. And, you know, that money will go elsewhere. We will not get it uh, if, if we don't uh, push hard and, frankly, push back against those among us who uh, would like things to, uh, you know, stay the way they are and not, not create densified neighbourhoods, et cetera. Right. Now, on the urban planning theme... What could council do through its involvement in urban planning to forward other desirable outcomes? For example, what what could council do to make the Peterborough area more environmentally sustainable in terms of planning how we grow? In other words, is there are there things? council could do to foster a move from the car-centric suburbs to a more intense, intensified uh, urban environment. Paul referenced that. Are there other things council could do? Hi, Bill. It's Kaya. Um, Yes. That's on that. So what I would really want council to do is stop building out with the suburbs because suburbs, like you said, just create more car-reliant people. And I know a lot of my friends who live in the suburbs who never go downtown, right? Everything they need is on the Lansdowne Strip. As near downtown, so when I want to go get a snack or go shopping, I'll go to downtown local business right downtown. When they want to, they get in their car, they drive down to Winners, they drive down to the joints. 
which collaborate downtown and increases our car use and our carbon footprint. So I think I know that we have lots of vacant lots that I've seen all around downtown. And like Cheryl was mentioning with the tiny home initiatives, like maybe rethinking the way we think of a house. I saw this video about, I'm not saying we should necessarily do this, but just as a experiment, like built out of shipping containers, they built a fully functioning house in there that was environmental. We don't need big, huge, and they're stackable too. Those can go up. We don't need big, huge, vast spaces. We just need to rethink the way that we do our housing and where we put it so that it's... Oh, okay. And that's allowable under the new federal program. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, uh, Bill, uh, uh, one too, that, that's, a, that's a great point, and it's something that I think a lot of uh, cities are doing a, doing a great job of. The other one, too, is even rethinking our existing supply. Um, Michael Vanderherberg and, and that group from one city are doing a great job of taking the existing supply of, like, those four or five, six and curating a transitional housing piece, right? So we have, we have a lot of those larger homes that are under you. They have one or two people in them, or they've put together. Elizabeth Fry's doing there's new transitional housing. Okay. We talked earlier about artists to house. Sh- shelters are great and more supply. That's very helpful too. A real group of our, our community that is a bit harder to house a transitional piece, um, which there's great in our community doing and, and just rethinking the, the uh, existing infrastructure. Okay. Great, great idea. Now, the Peterborough's arts community has been particularly hard hit by this pandemic. What could council do to alleviate the stresses on our artists and their infrastructure, such as theaters, performance spaces, bars, restaurants, galleries, everywhere where artists have a, t- have a chance to show their work, perform their work, put on, display what they're doing? What could council do that way? I'll jump in here if I might there, uh, Bill. It's Kate's Please. story. I'm I'm going to do this sort of irritating thing where I think actually in a way the topic of the panel isn't quite right. And I think this sort of hits across the sectors that you've addressed here. Of course, we want to keep councillors and our mayor accountable. But really, uh, part of the problem, if not a great deal of the problem, is how the city is structured in terms of staffing and how that all the departments are structured. So our councillors and our mayor are only able to do so much and uh, in fact are stymied at times by by staff and I don't when I say that I'm not trying to blame individuals but um, I will say this for for example Sheldon Laidman was uh, was hired back in Peter uh, back in August started work in September 2019 the city had just restructured five departments into three and I had to write it down because it's impossible to remember. Sheldon Laidman is responsible for the community disser- community services department that includes social services, which is arts, culture, heritage, housing, um, Peterborough Public Library, arenas, recreation, sport and wellness center, and sustainability. So we're talking about an incredibly broad series of things, you know, everything from, from social services to, to sports, to arts and culture. So it's impossible. So from an arts perspective, we're never going to get the attention that we need. We're never going to get the funding that we're, we, we, we are looking for. And we're looking at a city that I think in a lot of ways doesn't recognize how interconnected all of these issues are. I'm an artist. I live downtown. I work downtown. I see how much, uh, in terms of poverty and homelessness, how much the pandemic has increased desperation on the street. But part of that is because the downtown businesses are not open. Part of that is because the art scene isn't alive right now. You can't separate these issues out. So for me, a great deal of what I would like to see is get arts, culture, and heritage out of the social services package for funding at the city hall. That has to happen. We are years behind the time here in Peterborough. Most municipalities of our side size have uh, uh, an arts council that does peer-reviewed arm's-length arts funding. What we have right now is a series of people on a committee who decide which arts groups get funding. It's very paternalistic. People know who those people are, so they could be open to influence because you can look up and see who's making the decision. It's kind of grandfathered in. So this is a huge issue for us as artists. And it's, it's like I said, you can't sort of pull arts out. There's, there's a lot of small businesses that are venues for, especially for live music are in trouble and, and they need support as well. Arts, culture and heritage out of social services. It should be part of community services. Great. Okay. Thanks for that. I'm just wondering your t- Kate, you touched on the businesses and 
the fact that downtown Peterborough, just a walking experience over the last couple of months, downtown in the evenings and the weekends is entirely different from what it used to be. Now, particularly the hospitality sector, uh, you know, local businesses are really being decimated. Given that the pandemic may be with us for most of the council's remaining two years, what could count, what action could council take to support small businesses downtown? Well, one thing you could do is support the arts because this is what happens. People go to see a show, they go out for dinner, and they have a drink. How we are all in the same community together. And to try to prioritize kind of one thing above the other inevitably leads to a kind of breakdown in the entire system. So I'd say that's one thing for sure. Okay. Um, I, 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 would, I think there are other people on the panel who could probably have more specific suggestions about what businesses could use i would suggest probably some tax relief property tax relief would be a great idea that's one thing that springs to mind right away yeah i think there is a, a property tax relief uh coming i read something about it maybe somebody else would know business tax relief uh, i have a comment uh, uh, to your question bill and, and sure. a question with kate um one small way that any municipality can help local small businesses is through their procurement policies. And there is a, a push now and an approval to um, hire someone to investigate how this could be done in Peterborough. And I thought that was a tremendously progressive move. And uh, that what it means is that uh, in all its purchasing, it could eventually kind of metastasize to all the larger institutions and facilities in Peterborough. Um, has a requirement in all of their tendering for uh, local business support, um, whether it's as small as catering uh, something or as, as large as whatever, wherever your mind goes that local businesses could supply. And my question to Kate is, um, maybe help us think through that kind of social procurement policy for the arts. The city <laughs> doesn't commission art, it doesn't uh, order art like to order catering for a meeting, you know. So uh, it's something that I have thought of another way. Sure. There's a there is a public art committee uh, at the city level, but it's it's another uh, in, 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 it's another example of a kind of malaise at the heart of the structure of the city. The staff has more or less abandoned that public art committee. They basically have walked away from it, and the councilors don't have a lot of influence or say on that committee and have been kind of browbeaten into just kind of going along with what staff say. We're also looking at a situation where the staff continually threaten to cut the arts funding from our only, the closest thing we have to an arts council, the Electric City Culture Council. This has been happening annually where there's a struggle for EC3 to keep their funding. So it seems to me that that public art <laughs> committee being, being you know, so so abandoned by both staff and, and councillors is just an example of how this is just not a priority, Cheryl, and I, I, I'm really disturbed by by this tr this trend at the city level. I, I don't have an answer for it except, like I said, let's get arts, culture, and heritage out of the out of the community services budget and and give it to an arts council. Okay. Now another sort of part of the spider web of a vibrant downtown, of course, is employment. What could council do over the next two years? to encourage employment. Now, I, I get it. City, you know, apart from a few positions, the city doesn't create jobs. Got that. The private sector is the engine for jobs downtown, by and large. But are there things council could do to create a, a more vibrant atmosphere for, for jobs and people who employ others? I, uh, I'll jump in. This it's Paul. The uh, it's funny in everything that you know. A lot of what I do, it's, it's long term growth and trying to help people start and grow businesses over the long haul. Uh, it's funny that you know Peterborough has kind of been a hidden gem for everyone on this call for a very long time, I think. And uh, you know, I'll, for the first time, I think the pandemic may have uh, let others see just how special it is here. And you know, in a short term, one of the big things that we could and should probably do is. Why start or why bring your business here? There's going to be a lot of people that are going to start working from home or having smaller businesses that aren't in larger centers. Um, and we can focus on in the short term, how do we get those people here? I know from a personal perspective, I've had four or five friends who are professionals in Toronto try to move to Peterborough and they've been unable to because there's no supply of housing. Uh, and they right. ended up 
Port Hope, uh, Millbrook, Pickering, and Curtis, I think. And if if we can get to those professionals, the ones that are going to work from home uh, or have their smaller businesses, uh, to your point, Bill, that's a short-term win. If we we got 100 people that are working in Peterborough, that's a big, big impact on our community. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Bill, it's Jonathan. Uh, I wouldn't mind jumping in. So uh, we work downtown. I actually think a, a heck of a lot on this file has improved over the course of the last few years. Uh, there was a time when all of the economic development agencies uh, were really political footballs. They didn't uh, sit around the same tables. They didn't collaborate very well. That's not true anymore. I, I see a lot of collaboration, and uh, and and which is, you know, I, I actually think is really encouraging. Uh, I think the chamber works really hard, and I think Peterborough Economic Development uh, work really hard as well to promote Peterborough across the region. I think Electric City Arts Council uh, punches so far above their weight in terms of their influence. Uh, so it's it's really like some really great things have happened. And, you know, if we're going to come out of this pandemic, you know, with with any kind of downtown, we have, you know, massive infrastructure that is for the arts downtown sitting completely vacant with no employees left. And this city council is going to need to step up and make sure that we have uh, a way to rebound when it's safe to do so, because uh, the lead time to get shows and get everything back up and running yes. is a long time, a very long time, like a year. Uh, to get things in and the work we've done, um, you know, I just know hosting some roundtables earlier uh, with Electric City Arts Council, just listening to the performance art, arts and uh, visual arts, especially, you know, these are economic drivers. The spinoff uh, to downtown businesses are huge. And that's the reason why people uh, want to move to Peterborough. They want this rich life. And so, uh, you know, they can't create jobs, but they can create conditions for stability coming out of the pandemic. And they need to really worry and think deeply about that, I think. Yes, yes. There's applause on the screen. <laughs> That's great. Now, one of, sadly, one of Peterborough's traditional leading products or exports are uh, well-educated young people who have to leave to find work. Students come out of our our public school system, out of Fleming College, out of Trent, and they leave (laughs) to find work. Certainly, it's uh, what could council do to not – we don't want to say stop people from following their dreams, but – Offer offer people uh, an alternative. I, I know my own family. Uh, I, I hear from young people, uh, friends of uh, my adult children, who say, "You know, I'd love to come back to Peterborough if only I could find work." Um, so, what could council do to boost employment in that sector or boost the I'm, I'm gonna, opportunities? I'm gonna, sure, I'm going to agree with with Jonathan on that. Like again, in, in terms of the control that our municipal government has on that kind of stuff, it's not huge, but it's true, it's, true. I, creating the conditions for a successful community is what Peterborough has. We're not a, a Brooklyn or an Oshawa or a Pickering. We have a real sense of community here, right? And um, a lot of the things that Jonathan was mentioning, including the arts and uh, the t- different types of housing, including a, a really you know decorated and vibrant downtown, you know, it doesn't seem like it right now, which is one of our biggest reasons to support local. But you know, the things that we can do to create that vibrant community is why people want to be part of Peterborough. And uh, so, again, those are things we need to save. Those are things we need to define and, and make Peterborough very special. Absolutely, Paul. Uh, well said. And I, uh, uh, you know, one of the, the, the things I find having moved here from Newfoundland where there is a troubled and never, never sufficiently funded, but, but vibrant art scene. I don't think anyone argues that the art scene in Newfoundland is not instrumental to, to the way it's been able to transform itself over the last 30 years or so. But, um, a lot of, there's still an attitude in Peterborough that to give an arts grant is like giving away free money. And I think that if we can shift that thinking, it's not, it's not a grant, it's an investment. Any dollar that you give to the arts in Peterborough, it, it, it generates the, the, the statistic is it generates $2.70. I would suggest it generates more in non-governmental funding. So absolutely, we need to see more investment in the arts and culture industries. We need to see continued investment in our, our built heritage. We need to see continued uh, outreach to all of the Indigenous communities that live around Peterborough, um, because that's part of our cultural legacy as well, and addressing all that kind of colonial legacy and 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 injustice, et cetera, that needs to continue to happen. Because I think that's a big part of what makes Peterborough a place people want to move to. 
Yeah, and, and Kate, I, I have to say, if I take off my host hat for a moment as a participant remark, I'm always amazed when I'm attending arts events or well, listening, listening to the CBC, uh, how Newfoundlanders seem to punch way above their weight in terms of participation. It's as if Newfoundland's loss is uh, certainly Ontario's gain. In the uh, just Newfoundlanders, I, I, Labradorians I hear about who are involved in the in performance arts, broadcasting, writing, what have you, and what a loss it must be to Newfoundland. Well, I suppose. I mean, I moved away, and I'm I'm, I'm glad I live here. I, I think a great. I mean, there's a sense of urgency in Newfoundland around cultural, a sense that we're going to disappear. But here yeah. in Peter, we do have a sense of community still. And if we can continue to have that sense of community, that always makes for a really okay. So wonderful web of interventions yeah. between businesses, artists, uh, environmentalists, etc. This is what really makes Peterborough an exciting place to to live and an exciting place to make art. Okay. Now, one of the aspects of uh, life downtown in Peterborough, and certainly life for people who are. Uh, struggling is public transit. Well, not only people are struggling, everyone everyone uses it. What should council be doing over the next two years, or what would you like them to do in terms of um, public transit, either increasing, improving, changing, adapting? What could council do? I'd like to speak to that. Uh, this is sure. Kyle, because I take the bus, the city bus, every day to school. I take the city bus whenever I want to get to a friend's house or a store. So I'm a pretty frequent user of it. And one easy thing that I'd like to see changed is I'd like to see um, bike racks at every single bus stop. I know that's not an attainable goal right now, but a long-term goal, maybe right now just at bus stops that are like intersections between them. Because I think, you know, being able to walk or bike and then take the bus and then get back on your bike and just intertwining those forms of sustainable and active transportation is really important. Well. I would like to see, if possible, I know that money does not grow on trees, um, a lower fare for the student bus pass, especially for high school students, because it is quite expensive. Um, what, is, what is it right now, Kai, if I can ask? How much is it? $55 for a month pass. Right. Um, or 250 for an individual ride. Right. And I think that cost alone just steers people off of taking the bus. And I think it's really important that youth start taking the public transit because a lot of my friends have cars. And once you get a car, it's so much more convenient that they just become lifelong car users and stop taking other forms of transportation. Uh, right. One more thing I'd like to add is that we kind of changed the bus system quite recently from being all the different routes come to a central hub. Now it's just different lines that interact and intersect and you can switch from one to another, which theoretically is a better system in my opinion. However, in all the times that I've taken it, you have to <laughs> transfer from one route to the other, but the transfer times never line up. You often have to wait 30 minutes at yeah. a stop after you've transferred from the bus. And maybe it works on routes that I don't take, but for example... For me to get to my high school, it's about a 55-hour minute walk. Sorry, a 55 or an hour walk. Yeah. Um, and the nearest stop for me to get to school is a 20-minute walk from my house. Right. If I want to take the connecting bus, I need to leave my house 20 minutes earlier than if I walked to that stop. Right. So that would mean I would have to leave my house, take a bus, and then wait at the stop for 35 minutes, which makes right. no sense to me. So I don't have a perfect solution, but I think they need to reevaluate how this uh, lines intersect with each other and the times you need to wait to make it more desirable to use because it can get really frustrating when you have to wait that long in the cold. That's I definitely understand why people get turned off of taking city transit when it's really hard to use like that. Got it. Yeah. And in the introduction, I mentioned that, uh, of course, there are problems that are that we all face living in Peterborough that are far beyond the scope of city council to certainly manage on their own. Uh, they're, they're multifactorial, they're layered, they're complex. But I'm just wondering, are there specific things or actions council could take 
to make our community more resilient in the face of, well, what is potentially catastrophic climate change? I guess a subset of that is how could we improve or shrink our our carbon footprint, uh, our environmental footprint in general? Are there things council could do in that? I'm going to jump in. The word, re- the word resilience, is everybody here? The word resilience is really important. It's an umbrella word. word. And I'm trying to tie it back um, to all of our previous questions. And you, you can't touch the web of, of nature and life without touching everything else. So, for instance, a very practical example, uh, back to the buses, would be electrification of our, our fleet. That would do a lot to reduce our climate footprint. And yet, the Transportation Master Plan, and I know it's under review, had uh, originally started out saying we want to improve the routes and improve ridership over the next few years. And there was no talk of electrification, but now the green recovery is imminent coming from the federal government, according to Mary Monta. And in it, there will be money for transportation and greening of, of the economy. So the city should be poised. They should have a staff person assigned just to say something like that. With regard to jobs, if we keep our uh, our wetlands and our green spaces protected and we use our official plan to make our downtown as uh, environmentally appealing, whether it's opening up Jackson Creek or making sure you have lots of trees or whatever it is done, that attracts people to live here. That creates community when you have public spaces that are green where people can talk to each other. All of those things make a community attractive for small and, and, the word, and the word resilience, I think, shouldn't be bouncing back. Great. Others? One one thing that springs to mind, uh, and, you know, I really appreciate what Cheryl has said about the, the interconnection. Stop knocking down old buildings. You cannot <laughs> beat the environmental footprint of yeah. an old building. These are bricks that were made here in Peterborough. Everything was hauled by horses, and it's been sitting there. It's not emitting, you know, carbon. So please stop knocking down old buildings. And it also makes for, again, a more desirable community where people want to live and work. There is just, it's a win, win, win. It's worth investing in keeping those old buildings up. Bill, I might add a, a couple things. Um, sure. On the, on, the, on the planning side, some of the major emitters are, are from transportation. And so it's making sure that transit works. It's rethinking it, as Kaya was saying, um, very articulately in pressing that lived experience. And we also need the consultation processes in our city where we listen to that lived experience. I was speaking to the finance committee about the budget, the city's budget on Monday. And uh, Teresa McDonald was there in her wheelchair the third time speaking about some of the challenges of the transit system. And before COVID, when I was teaching at Trent, I would always take the bus or my bike. It's a great way to get around if it works. And so we've got to make sure that that works to, as Kaya said, start with the youth so that that is understood. We have to make sure that we have bus transit that are working in our new subdivisions from the start so that people see how that's going to work and don't have to then plan for the second car or the other other mechanisms. We also have to make sure that we are really focusing on our intensification corridors in downtown, not the suburbs. We need to ensure that we're building the density, the walkable, um, compact cities, the complete cities that enable people to have choices. And the multimodal uh, piece that Kaya mentioned, too, is is a great one. So um, we have to start to make transportation work. The transportation master plan has just got underway. Consultations have had a bit of a rough start, but let's hope they will get Addressed, but that is a larger question across our city: is how sure. do we engage that lived experience, that knowledge in our community, the expertise and experience from elsewhere that is drawn here? That's where we can start to hear those stories, hear those voices that uh, demanded a climate emergency declaration from City Council. We have to hear more of that and be acting on some of the plans we've already made but also some new ones with more funding. Well, Ian, you, you, you touch on a, a theme. I mean, what what do we think council could do to draw back the curtains on 
the, the long-term planning and involve more voices, get more people involved in some of these planning discussions. Both, um, let's say, you were at the budget hearings and, and power to you for doing that. But what else could council do to, an, to make decision-making more participatory? Anyone else before I jump in? I've got lots of ideas. Uh, please do. <laughs> participatory budgeting is an important one. I was just on a conference call before this with Horizon Ottawa that um, has done a citizen's budget, um, have, have put a people's budget, alternative budget together for the city of Ottawa, and have brought groups together to build, again, that community experience. So I, there's there's lots of things. I think part of it is getting the information out to the public early enough that the public can engage with their councillors and with staff, ask the questions in time to have an informed discussion. Most of the time, we get the information on a Thursday afternoon and Monday night lands in front of committee, has a decision that basically, in most cases, is uh, approving what staff recommended. And we've got to have enhanced processes and better discussion, I think, and the engagement charter that um, Diane Terrian uh, uh, advocated in her uh, mayoral campaign and was successful as mayor. And Ian, I remember you I remember all of us talking about that in the reimagine uh, Peterborough uh, formats uh, as far as getting that that openness and getting that time lag extended so citizens have more than over the weekend when typically we are involved in you know shopping all the all the things that fill up a weekend and before you know it, the time is, is gone. I'm, I'm wondering also, what could council do to promote the localizing of our economy? Because from all I've heard, coming out of the pandemic, we're going to be traveling less. We're going to be perhaps using more products and consuming more food grown and produced here. What, what can council do to promote that? I'm wondering if uh, beyond the word promote, um, there are some some kind of radical ideas floating around, and and they're experimental things, and they're being tried elsewhere, and uh, and they're working. Um, Preston, England, for five, I'll write it in the chat. And uh, one of those experimental ideas. All right, by all means, uh, Kaya. Perfect. I just wanted to talk about some changes that I thought that the council could do to make Peterborough more um, sustainable, more resilient towards climate change. Like Kate said about the arts, it's not free money. Well, first of all, climate change is the most disastrous thing that my generation will ever face. It's probably a losing battle, and I think a lot of my peers are feeling the weight of that, that we're growing in a world that is a losing battle versus climate change. Uh, So if that's not enough reason to make city council want to put money in it, it is an investment. So for example, installing bike lanes or city transit, the money you put in that you get back by health benefits, by mental health benefits. It's proven that when you install bike lanes instead of parking, then there's more engagement with downtown local businesses. There are statistics like that. So it is an investment that comes back. So, like I said, I think um, putting in bike lanes and especially separate bike lanes, so with an actual physical barrier that makes cyclists feel more safe, can get a lot of yes, yes. <laughs> Just talking about improving transit is another big one, and also I, this is a little random, but I think green roofs. So putting gardens on buildings is relatively simple, and it takes down the cost of heating and makes buildings more energy efficient. Yes. And because plants are magical, it will suck carbon monoxide and other greenhouse gases directly from the sky, so that's something we can do, among many other things. Um, that's a little snippet of my ideas on what we can do to help. No, no, that's great. I mean, and your point about bike lanes, I mean, bike lanes are more than paint on roads. Right. All right. Yes, Kate, go ahead. Jump in. This is a super unpopular thing to say, but (laughs) I think I think that I mean, looking to to ourself and and around our own country, you know, there's there's a certain kind of person with a certain kind of view that that seems to have the resources, the time and the sheer bloody mindedness to just constantly hammer away on social media 
you know, communicating with politicians. So I know that the councillors and our mayor get a lot of negative feedback from people who don't want to see taxes go up and they don't care about the environment. They don't care about yeah. uh, the arts. They don't care about housing. They hate the homeless people. They, they don't want to see any of this. I would just, you know, like I said, maybe this is not very popular. I'm not a politician. Stop listening to those people. They're, yeah, downtown is dangerous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't listen to those people. Diane did not run on a low tax platform. Yeah. For one, am willing to spend an extra 12 bucks a month yeah. to make sure that we don't have people living on the street, to make sure that we can have yes. the protected bike lines, lanes, that we can see our arts council that actually can do its job etc all the things that matter this this is not an issue please please we are in a crisis those of us who own property slightly more taxes we're not talking about hundreds of dollars a month we're talking about a little bit and uh i I would also just say don't don't make those just because you've heard from somebody doesn't mean that they speak for 800 people i i I think yes (laughs) believing in consultation and uh, everything that we've been talking about tonight and the kind of vision of a community that, that can come forward, is, it's, it's, it's a delicate thing, but there's a lot of people out there with a lot of really great ideas. And, and just don't listen to the naysayers. That's my, that would be my message, especially to Diane. I think it's really hard being a woman in politics, and I don't think there's been anything like support for, for her as a young woman being, being elected as mayor. And I, 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 yes. I, I can imagine a little bit of the, the, the kinds of I, – I, I've heard some of it. So, you know, I would just say, don't listen to those people. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, and, and yeah, keep moving forward. Well, taking Kate's, what Kate said as inspiration, what are the two or three things you'd like to leave council with tonight? Like if they could only do two or three things in the next 23 months for the next election, what should council really focus on? I, I would actually, I would like to agree 100% with everything Kate just said, and I would, I would pare it down to one thing, and really, it's about investing in our future. The, you know, there's an old adage of you don't save your way out of a recession. Um, yeah, there was, there was a, a comment made earlier. I think it was by you as well, Kate. Um, the people have to uh, shift their mindset from spending. Find uh, it, it's a, a mindset of our council spending uh, as opposed of how to invest money properly for the long term. Um, I, I would agree wholeheartedly as someone that pays, I will gladly pay a lot more tax to make our city a better place. I'm not going to complain if the tax goes up and I haven't heard of anyone that will. And uh, again, I agree that there's a lot of people on social media that are so um, loud about the fact they don't want to see a 0.02% increase in their tax. No one gives a crap. Others, what what are some of the other things... What, Council should focus on next two years. I'll jump. Bill, let's jump. Uh, the the period of council uh, where they're running on what uh, they said they were going to win, I'm moving into re-election mode for next time pretty soon. Yes. Uh, folks will be thinking about whether or not they're going to run, and uh, uh, and the jostling will begin. Uh, to me, we get less governing done during that period, uh, and more uh, more promises get made. Uh, and I think that um, the governing needs to continue. Uh, this is a really critical 24 months for us. Uh, there's going to be financial uh, supports for communities to recover, and they can't listen to folks that um, are just against everything. And uh, they need to be for some stuff. They need to be bold, and they need to be courageous, and they need to be aggressive. Uh, they need to go after this money because it will go to Barry and it will to London and it will go other places. It will not come here if we're not all aligned and uh, and ready, with, uh, ready with projects and ready with ideas and ready with commitment. And and so they're going to have to they're going to they're going to have to take their lumps. You know, we're going to if they're not right. So right. Well, and on that theme of taking risks, Jonathan, what what could council do around the whole area of indigenous uh, reconciliation, land back opportunities to to move that? that part uh, of the, their mandate forward. Well, I'd, I'd ask you that you direct that question to the Indigenous person you've got on your panel. Oh, unless you okay. don't have one, in which case that's on you, mate. <laughs> I'm not ta- I, like, I'm just not the right person to answer that. No, question. no, no, I, I, okay. I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't sing- signaling you out, but as conc- I, I'm trying to land on what, what concrete actions council could take over the next two years and are there opportunities there? 
And if so, what would they look like? Sure, go ahead. Lots of concrete suggestions we've had. And the only thing I can say is maybe we need to be more positively behind the good things instead of always trouncing and um, the other thing is to realize uh, that in the model that you described, we, we seem to have moved towards a big city model, or dare I say this aloud at Peterborough, a regional government model. Commissioners is only speaking government. And I don't know whether that's a good move or whether talking about it behind the scenes, it raised its head during uh, uh, Harris's regime, and we escaped all the amalgamation. And it is, I think, still good to remain a separated city, not a regional government. But I wonder if there's some movement to put in some mind centers to think about regional government as being more able to get money uh, any last th- thoughts about things you'd like council to focus on for the next two years? If I could have a message to municipal government, it would just be to put climate change and climate policies and environmental policies first, because climate change is an issue that will just define my entire life, my entire future. But nobody my age, I'm not able to be the one in government right now making those decisions. I'm not old enough to vote. So it's their duty to make choices on behalf of me, on behalf of the younger generation that needs to live out reversible control, the irreversible damages that climate change will have in my life. And that time to act for climate change was yesterday. You know, we're not going to prevent anything. We're just trying to curb the damage. So I would say, please, please, please try to put that first for me, for all the other youth will have to live that out. And on that note, well, thank you so much. So Jonathan, Cheryl, Paul, Kaya, Kate, and Ian, thanks again for joining in on this discussion. You've been listening to Pints and Politics. We post on Twitter at Bill Temp and on our Facebook page, Pints and Politics Podcast. Until next week, this is Bill Templeman.